Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. A big thank you to Eddie Diamond for taking you through the morning today on FBI Radio. My name is Mia Hull. This show is called Out of the Box, and today I'm joined by Anna Maria Bello. Anna Maria plays the role of Anna in the film Unsound, which will be screening at the Dendi Cinema in Newtown tonight. We'll talk about that later in the show, but right now I want to talk about all the moments that brought Anna Maria here because she is the ambassador for Shepherd Centre, which is a deaf centre for kids. How did you end up in that role? As the ambassador for the Shepherd Centre, they um, contacted me after they read an interview that was done by beautiful Jennifer Trejo. They had, uh, the interview was about my work with John Cleese on Faulty Towers and about how I was describing his laughter. And then it also looked into um, my my role that I did uh, through Tribes at the Ensemble Theatre. And they contacted me and said, we would love to have a deaf ambassador. So would you like to be that person? And I went and met with them and I said yes. And when you say you're a deaf ambassador, there's deaf with a capital D and deaf with a little d. Can you explain that difference to me? Yes. So deaf with a capital D is that it's a cultural deafness, so which means that they are primarily using Auslan to communicate. And deaf with a little d is what I am. So I use hearing aids, I use, well, I lip read, um, and, but, but, to communicate, I'm oral first. How old were you when you started to experience difficulty hearing? Ooh, seven, I think. Yeah, it would have been around seven was my first operation, which was just like um, grommets in the ears and got my adenoids taken out. And um, yeah, so it would have been really young. And you were in school when you started to notice the difference in hearing? Well, the weird thing is because as a child you are so resilient, you don't know there's an issue. And children are amazing at disguising the hearing loss and disguising that things are going on because they're not aware that these changes are so profound. So I uh, realised that with my my little brother... like. We used to be watching TV and mum would go, you know, turn the, turn the TV down when the, when the phone would ring. And so we would turn the volume down and we had a game where we would make up what the people were saying on the TV. Like we'd basically be reading their lips and we would make it up and whisper it to each other. So who knew that that was going to like save my life later? Yeah, so that's that's how you learnt to lip read from yeah. from playing that game with your brother. Well, we actually do it with survival, like it, it, for everyone. Everyone lip reads to a degree; they just don't realise it. And I think, you know what, with coronavirus and everybody wearing masks, I think a lot of people have actually gone, "Huh? What are you saying? Can you say it again?" I think they've actually not realised just how much they're relying on it being a visual cue. When I first realised that we were going to be wearing masks for a long time. Like, I panicked. I just went into a, oh, no, because I'm aware that I need to see people's mouths. Like, I just have to. Um, yes, I have my hearing aids, but that only takes me so far. Um, and the rest for me is what's happening with your mouth, what's happening with your face. And, yeah, it was interesting. It was hard and a, a lot of the deaf community, capital D deaf and little d deaf, we all struggled 
big time. But the wonderful thing was I think a lot of people struggled. Yeah. So that was kind of nice to get some sort of awareness in that respect. You use Auslan to communicate as well, don't you? With my, uh, yes, but not with my family. My family don't know Auslan. Um, I don't really have anybody close to me that, uh, in terms of my relationships, I have friends within the Auslan community. So they are, they are the people that I communicate in Auslan with. I wish I had more. Where did you learn it if your family doesn't use it? I learnt it. Actually, the first person that taught me was a girl at school, Edwina Clark, and her parents are both deaf. And she she grew up being their ears, really, and being their voice. So um, she's a coder, so child of deaf adults. And there's a lot of responsibility on coders. Um, and she was the first one who actually taught me how to sign. Um, she taught me the alphabet. She taught me a few words. And then at NIDA, they were very helpful. And when I was going in for one of my other operations, they were like, we'll teach you a little bit of sign language. Uh, and that was really nice. But then I went and got my actual certificate through uh, the Deaf Society. When was that? 2000 and... 2014, I want to say. I went and studied it properly. So you were taught Auslan originally by someone else in year 11 at school. Were you getting other support at school or at home? Uh, At school, no. It was a bit of a secret. Um, We kind of decided to keep it, uh, keep my deafness, uh, yeah, we kept it to ourselves. I think my mum was very uh, wanting to protect me as much as she could, you know. And I think back then it was a very different time and, you know, kids would get teased because of wearing glasses, but we didn't know anybody else that had hearing aids. We didn't know anyone else that was deaf. We didn't have that in our world. And I think she just really worried because I was singing, because I was acting. I think she worried that I would be treated differently. So we just decided we'd keep that a big fat secret. (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) But while you're holding on to that secret, you're in high school really involved in music. Yes. How how do you do those two things at the same time? I had the best teachers ever who didn't know I was deaf. And in a way, I think that that was a godsend because they didn't treat me any differently. What? They're teaching techniques were amazing and what they got us to do with music was learn to listen to the music so like they would walk in and go okay what's this interval bum bum and then we go huh, and you'd have to write it down and huh, and then they would teach us to take music and separate the notes in our heads like I cannot tell you how well stressful it is but also they trained our ears to listen not just to hear to listen so now my relationship with music is very very different so if I'm hearing like a song on the radio I don't just hear it all at once like I'm I can see it so for me listening to music is a very tactile body thing so I normally have to have my hands on something so I can feel it Um, but I see the music so I can see where the notes are going. I think everybody uh, experiences music in very different ways and for me it's extremely joyful Um, 
And I, uh, so with my hearing aids now, I hear things differently. But before, um, there were notes that I couldn't hear with my ears, but I could feel with my body. So I would gravitate to other notes. <laughs> I would gravitate to notes that I that I liked where it fit in my body because some didn't feel very nice. <laughs> and around the time your music teachers were showing you how to interpret music in this way, your brother was getting married and you encountered another problem with your hearing. Tell me about that. The phone was ringing nonstop. So I... Like back then, you know, you had your house phone, you know, so I would pick up the house phone and straight away take it to my right ear. But I couldn't hear what they were saying on the other end. So I would be yelling at the florist, the photographer, a bunch of them and just saying, you know, well, just bring me back when your phone is fixed. Okay, bye-bye. And hang up. I hung up on almost everybody, not realising that my right ear was disappearing. <laughs> yeah. How was it disappearing? What was happening inside your ear? So I had a, um, a clostoma. So I had a, a skin ball growing on the eardrum. So basically it uh, it's like a cyst growing on the eardrum and it can either grow outwards towards the outer ear or internally and mine was going both ways. So it was quite uh, mucousy and yucky and it stank and it hurt. <laughs> What's the first song you've chosen to play today? Ah, the first song I've chosen is Packerbell's Cannon because... My teachers at Bethlehem College, um, this was one of the first songs that um, my music teachers would make us dissect. And it was this song that we had to notate just by listening to it. Like we weren't allowed to look at any sheet music. We had to take each note and separate it and write it out. And this song, if it wasn't for this, I don't think I would understand music today. Like it's been drummed into me and it was the first time I was ever able to realise just how you can separate music and how you how each and how each part melds together to make this beautiful thing. Like if you're listening to this, like just touch the speakers. I don't know, yeah, touch the speakers, but notice that each instrument as it comes in, it's going to vibrate at a certain level. Like it doesn't, like they all sound different, yes, but listen to the cello, like feel the cello. It actually, the, it will vibrate at a slower level, so you're going to actually feel it more. And then when the violins come in, they go faster, so it, you'll feel it it'll be harder to feel it if it's the first time you're doing it, but you'll, you'll notice that it's like, um, yeah, they vibrate really, really, really quickly. Yeah. Let's experience this song on every front yeah. here on FBI Radio 94.5. It's Packabell's Cannon. Thank you. 
song was chosen by my guest today on Out of the Box, deaf actor Anna Maria Bello. It was Pachelbel's Canon. 
Anna Maria, you encountered another obstacle when it came time for you to sit your HSE right mm-hmm. at the end of high school. What happened? Um, I had to do an oral exam. Um, but what we found out was that it wasn't just my right ear that was disappearing. It was my left ear that was disappearing. Uh, so we, I had no idea about that. We'd been going through like operations and, um, you know, they'd taken out whole bunches of my, my bone, my mastroidectomy on my right ear. And so I understood that that was the problem. And we went in for a, a checkup to see how it was all going and the audiologist said well have we ever thought about having a hearing aid and I said well we can't put anything on that ear because it has to stay dry it has to stay open and she was like no 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 I mean for your left ear I'm like my left ear my left ear is fine she's like it's not it's it's dropped and I'm like when so we tried to find out when we couldn't we couldn't see an exact date, but it was somewhere between the age of eight and the age of 15. It had dropped significantly. Um, And that was uh, because of nerve damage. We couldn't work out why. So they gave me a hearing aid, which pretty much looked like a brick. Um, It was this big old analog thing. Um, It was massive. And I remember putting it on going, I can't do anything with that. Like I can't function with this thing and at that point your deafness was a secret at school as well yeah yeah and it was this weird why why would I use this and but the way that that thing processed sound was like the worst sound ever so I just didn't understand how this was going to help me um the uh, we I spoke to one of the teachers and they said well, why don't you just use it for the HSC so that uh, for any exams where – and just so that you could hear what the – what are they called? The person that comes in, the adjudicator, the person that comes in and, like, you know, has to give you – you've got this many minutes left that you can hear all of that stuff. And I was like, mm, okay. And I tried to use it for the oral exam for the HSC, for music, Um and I remember taking it off halfway, just going, this is not helping me at all. Um, but I still came in the top 10% for the oral exam. And where did you go after school to study? So I went to a place called Dynamite Dance Studios, which was a full-time performing arts course. Um, so that was wonderful, which is uh, David Atkins School. And then I went to NIDA for three years as an actor, which was great. And you said NIDA before were very supportive of you. Why did you need extra support from them? Well, because um, through, so it was about, must have been in second year, uh, I think I had a conversation, I think I had a conversation with one of the tutors. I can't remember how it came about. It was my singing teacher, I think. And she said, if you're going to do the reconstruction surgery, oh, that's right. It's all coming back to me now. There was an option to do a reconstruction on my right ear. So they were going to put the bones back into my head because basically the, the, the skin ball eats away because there's no oxygen in the eardrum, in, the, yeah, in that area, in the ear canal. 
<laughs> I'd forgotten what it's called. In the E canal, there was no oxygen there. So when skin's growing, it attaches to the bone and it eats it away. So it basically rots the bone. So they took it out um, and they had to drill it all out. So I lost about three quarters of my eardrum. Dr. Pohl's probably going to kill me if he's listening to this. I'm probably getting all of this wrong. But they took out about three quarters of my eardrum and they took out two of the bones. So you've got a hammer, anvil and a, mm, I think it's a stirrup. There's a third little one. They're the tiniest bones in our body. They're like super small. And they had to get rid of two of them. Those bones are the vibrating bones. So they vibrate onto the eardrum and create vibrations which gets transmitted to the brain and we understand that as sound. Um, All of that was removed. So there was an option to put them back in as a skin graft. So I spoke to them all and NIDA said, we want to support you and we would like you to do this now in second year so that if something goes awry, because it wasn't a problem that, you know, they could hit a nerve and half my face would fall down. There was a whole bunch of things that could go wrong. And they said, we'd like to support you through that. So go get it done now in second year and we'll give you all the support you need so it was great they I, instead of going to a voice tutorial they would send me down to Julia Cotton and she would teach me some basic Auslan signs that she knew cause she used to work with the theatre of the deaf so it was really lovely to get that support it was great so we did the operation it didn't change my hearing though but I did get my bones back in so I got my balance back a little bit which is good the next song you've chosen is slightly left of field yes <laughs> you can't see this right now but the face Anna Maria is feeling is <laughs> pure I, joy <laughs> I love this song so much what is it it's called baby got back <laughs> by Sir Mixler why did you choose this one because it's the best song ever um I chose this song because I don't think anyone can ever talk about me without this song attached. Like, it's everything. This is the track that I will do at every single karaoke bar. Everywhere I go, this has to go on. Um, This is one of those songs that when I was a kid, it was actually on the first CD. It was the first CD I was ever given, that I ever bought, sorry. And it was those ones where, back in the day, um, it would be like the hits of... I can't even remember what year it was. Oh, that's bad. But it was the hit, summer hits of whatever year it was. And this was on there. And I remember it came on because I'd never heard it before. And I went, what is this joy? And I, and in the sleeve, you would get all the lyrics. So I sat down and in one afternoon, I learned every single lyric to this song in one afternoon. And I went, yes, I've got it. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant back then. And... I just always had it in my pocket that it was just this song I knew. And then I think my favourite day ever was I was at, I was auditioning for a new musical that Neil Armfield was directing and I didn't know what part I was going for because uh, it was just like a general audition. And they said, you know, come in, audition, bring these, bring a classical, uh, a, a classical musical piece uh, or traditional musical piece, I should say. So I came in and I sang this very traditional music theatre number and then they were like, how's your sight singing? I'm like, yeah, pretty good. And they gave me a piece of music that 
could be best described as someone throwing ants on a piece of paper and trying to sing this thing, which I did, which was all fine. So it was all very, you know, music theatre. And then they gave me the scene and they were like, here you go. Do you want to just have a read of this scene? And the character was the fantail rapper. And I read the scene and then at the end it says the fantail raps. And I went, oh, I can rap. And they went, can you? I said, yep. And they're like, can you rap now? And I went, sure. And I did this. <laughs> and then I got the job. That's the perfect song to just have in the back of your pocket ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. let's dive into it right now on FBI. It's Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-A-Lot. And this one comes with a language warning. Oh, my God. Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends. But, you know, who understands those rap guys? They only talk to her because she looks like a total prostitute, okay? I mean, her butt is just so big. I can't believe it's just so round. It's like out there. I mean, gross. Look. She's just so black. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. And yeah, when a girl walks in with an itty bitty waist and a round thing in your face, you get sprung. Wanna pull up tough cause you notice that butt was stuck. Some brothers want to play that hard role and tell you that the butt ain't gold. 
to retrieve it. So Cosmo says you're fat. Well, I ain't down with that. Cause your waist is small and your curves are kicking. And I'm thinking about sticking to the beanpole dames in the magazines. You ain't it, Miss Thing. Give me a sister, I can't resist her. Red beans and rice didn't miss her. Some knucklehead tried to diss. Cause his girls are on my list. He had game, but he chose to hit him. And I pull up quick to get with him. So ladies, if the butt is round and you want a triple X down, dial 1-900-MIX-A-LOT and kick them nasty thoughts. Baby got back. You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming online, that was Baby Got Back by Sir Mix-A-Lot. It was a selection by my guest today on the show, Anna Maria Bello, a deaf actor. When was the first time you faced discrimination based on your hearing loss? Ooh, that would have been in 2006. <laughs> in 2006, I think it was the first time where I kind of went, aha. Uh-huh things are different. Um, I had just returned back from London, so I was living there for three years, and I came back to town and there was an audition for a show, and I turned up, and at an audition for a musical, what normally happens is you, you turn up, you give them your headshot CV, or they already have it, but you get given a form, and it's like a, it's just an audition form, and it's got your height, your dimensions, your um, your details, your your agent, la la la, all of that kind of stuff, and that's normal. But in two thousand and six, when I went in for this show, um, there was a second page on the back, and on the back it said, "Well, there were two questions that I'd never seen before on a form, and it said, have you ever made a claim, uh, a workers' comp claim?'" And I was like, mm, "No." And then the next question was, do you have any known hearing loss? And I was like, <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to do with that information, uh, with that question, because you sign this, you sign it at the bottom. Like, this is a statement. This is a legal document. And I get very funny about things I have to sign. So I wrote yes. And then it said do you have any medical condition that might hinder your ability to do this job like deafness? And I was like, I have deafness, but it won't hinder my ability to do this job. So I didn't, yeah, it kind of threw me. And anyway, I walked in, handed in my form, um, and I was standing there singing my song, Now, because I can read lips, which is my little, you know, superpower, as I was singing, I saw the director pick it up, turn it over, and I saw him go, oh, she's deaf, and lean over and say to the person next to him, she's deaf. And they were like, okay, thank you very much. See you later. And I, look, I could have sung it terribly. I could have done a really bad job. Who knows? But at the time in my life at that point, I kind of 
really did well in auditions. I was always getting a recall. I was always, you know, I might not have gotten the job, but I was always get to that next round, you know. So for me to not get to that next round and having seen him go, oh, she's deaf, and this is a brand new thing, I took it personally, like big time, big time. And so I kind of thought this is all too hard and if now I have to declare my deafness, well, I just don't think I should sing again. Like this is just going to be hard. I mean, I was struggling anyway with because my hearing was deteriorating even more. Um and so I made the choice then that I had to look elsewhere, that I had to focus more on my acting or focus more on writing and filmmaking. Did you see that question on other forms when you were auditioning? Yeah. Why? I don't know. I then, so I wallowed in self-pity for a few years and then I, uh, there was a, a show that was coming in that I really wanted to audition for so I but I was scared that that was going to stand in my way so I I went and asked a few people and said look I want to do something about this this is discrimination like why is it here and the feedback or the information that I was given was that look and I you know I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an authority on it but what I was told was that at some point somewhere someone must have sued a producer and said, your show made me lose my hearing. So they were doing it to protect themselves, which I get. I totally understand. But I feel that doing that at the audition point isn't great because you're already making a judgment on what you think a deaf person can do, you know. And so for me, I took great issue with that. It got worse. Some of them some of them were actually asking will you go sit a hearing test? And I'm like, what? Why? Like (laughs) your ability to hear and your ability to listen are two separate things, but I don't think people understand that. Um, But having said that, in 2000 and, when was it, 2000 and, I want to say 15 was the first commercial show that I auditioned for, which was Faulty Towers, which didn't have it there. It was so great. And I spoke, to, so Louise Withers is the is the producer for that. And I spoke to her and I said, you do not understand how important it was to see that question just not on there. Like that's that really, really, really made my heart explode. And it was even greater because I got the job. Um, it was, yeah, it was really good. So that, that, that was a massive shift. And I want to say that I haven't seen it since. I'm just trying to check my brain. Yeah, I haven't seen it since. Amazing. Yeah, so that's a great thing. Really good. Anna Maria, you've chosen a Dolly Parton song to play for today. <laughs> yeah. What's the song? It's 9 to 5. Why have you chosen this track? Oh, because she's the queen. Um, Look, again, this is one of my karaoke songs. So this, look, who doesn't love Dolly Parton, right? Like, of course, we and, and I think for me, I never really understood when my love of Dolly Parton started. Like she was just always there. Like not like like I've had other people that I've been obsessed with, like Carol King and stuff, but Dolly was just there, and so much so that when she did Islands in the Stream with Kenny Rogers, I thought they were married. You know, I genuinely thought the two of them were married because that's what they were singing. You know. 
Um, so I was obsessed with her from a, a really young age, but it wasn't till I was doing Steel Magnolias and we were we we were travelling all over Australia, and I nothing was better than driving through Tamworth with Dolly Parton blaring in the hire car. Like that was the best, absolutely the best. So I became very Dolly obsessed whilst we were doing Steel Magnolias, obviously, and um, 9 to 5 5 became my, like, go-to karaoke song. But then so much so that later, like, she's she's done... um, uh, she's created a musical called Nine to Five, the musical. And when I heard about this, I just went, I have to be involved in this somehow. So I was really lucky that I got cast in it. So I got to play, well, COVID happened. But um, I was cast as Margaret, the the drunk. But, yeah, we were just about, to, we were a week, a week away from starting rehearsals and then COVID happened. We're going to dive into that track now on FBI Radio. This is 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. You're listening to Out of the Box with me, Mia Hull and Anna Maria Bello. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 Working nine to five, what a way to make a living, barely getting by. It's all taken and no giving. They just use your mind and they never give you credit. It's enough to drive you crazy and you let it. Nine to five for service and devotion. You would think that I would deserve a fair promotion. Step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away In the same boat with a lot of your friends Waiting for the day your ship will come in And the tide's gonna turn And it's all gonna roll your way Dolly Parton on FBI. 
That song was selected by my guest on Out of the Box, deaf actor Anna Maria Bello. Anna Maria, in 2012, you attended a wedding with lots of drumming and lots of loud music. What happened? Lots happened. Um, I was having a great time. It was a great old wedding. It was fabulous. And my parents were there and then they were complaining that it was really loud. And I said, yeah, yeah, look, it's fine. It's just like we're at a rock concert. It will be okay. And we left there and all of our ears were ringing. Like mum was complaining. She was like, oh, it's really loud. I said, it's fine. We'll all go to bed. When we wake up in the morning, it'll be okay. They woke up, fine. I woke up with a swollen head and distortion. So everyone sounded like robots to me. Um, and it stayed that way for 16 weeks. So I couldn't be around any sound. So every sound, it's like every sound came at me fat. So it was just like every every tiny like touch of a piece of wood, anything. It was just so painful. So uh, they were trying to work out why this was going on uh but apparently my my bones had swelled uh yeah they, to be honest we still don't know exactly why that happened um they think that I had a, a an underlying issue which was that I had one part of Meniere's disease where the bones just swell up so I just can't be around really loud noises now and so after the 16 weeks what happened I had lost so much of my hearing uh, that they said, we want to give you hearing aids. And I was like... Had you used hearing aids since you put away the ones that you got during your HSE? I only wore it for the HSE. Yeah. That was it. I threw, like, I didn't throw it away, but it was in a cupboard. Like, I never touched it again. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want hearing aids. Look, I had the shortest pixie haircut. Like, I was really tiny. It was really, really short. And I just felt like I couldn't hide it anymore. If I had my hearing aids, everyone would see it. My career was over um, because there are no people on TV with hearing aids, you know. I couldn't see them. They're not in my world. And I didn't know anyone who wore hearing aids. I didn't think that I, I – look, I knew at some point in my life – it would happen. I just didn't think it would happen at 35, like 75, sure, 35. I thought, to me, I took it as a sense of failure because I'd been doing really well with lip reading. I was really good at using my eyes. I was really great at that. And I thought, no, this is who I am. I don't need them. Did you continue going to auditions? No, no. Um, oh, actually, I lie because the day before I'd actually done the wedding, I'd gone to that wedding, I booked a commercial. I did book a commercial. Oh, that's right. I booked a commercial and I was on set and I was like, how am I going to do this? And I pulled the other actress over and I said, listen, this is what's happened because I kind of knew her. So I was just like, hey, this is what's happening I need you to help me because I can't hear anyone. So she was great. So she was like, don't worry, I got you. Because I just felt like I couldn't say anything to the director or to the to the, um, to the the first AD. I tried to say to the first AD, oh, I've got a new infection. And she was like, oh, 
okay, fine, whatever. And I was like, okay, she's no help. I'm not going to tell her what's really going on. Um, but yeah, that I did do that. But otherwise, that was it. After I did that ad, I didn't do anything. I, I genuinely thought my life was over. But then you took an acting master class with Larry Moss. And <laughs> why, why did that end up being so important for you? Um, that was really big. Uh, my friend Lyle Brooks rang me from Melbourne and he was like, you have to do Larry Moss's masterclass. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. Um, and he pushed me to apply because you have to apply and then they have to take you in. So then they did take me in and this was the first time he was doing it in Sydney. He, I didn't tell anyone, no one knew about what was going on. So I had a month. I had a month to trial my hearing aids uh, because they cost $10,000, these ones. Um, you get one month to give it a red hot go before you decide to continue or hand them back. And this was going to be within that month. Um, I think it was the last week of that month, actually. I had been practicing my scene with my scene partner and then the day before they said to us, you know, uh, Larry's going to be side coaching you. And I said, how is that going to happen? Like, how is that going to happen? Because I, I need to, I need him to put his hand up so I can see him. Uh, and they were like, why? What? And so I had to confess to what was going on. And he pulled me aside the night before and he just went, talk to me. What are you going to need? And I said, if you're going to stop us, just put your hand up so I can see you and he said okay not a problem um but on the first day so we were on the second day so the first day we were watching and Sean Rennie was a part of the master class as well but they're not as an actor but as a music theater performer so they had to bring in a song and he brought in a song and my other good friend, Jeremy Brennan, was on the piano accompanying him and Larry Moss was going through, like I think Sean got two words out and Larry was like, okay, stop, <laughs> and broke it down and said, this is what you do with a music theatre piece, with a song. You stop, you uh, listen to the accompaniment and work out what is the accompaniment doing? What are the words doing as a monologue? All of that. So he was breaking it all down. Then he made all of us in the audience close our eyes and listen to the accompaniment. And I didn't think anything of it. I went, okay, yep, closing my eyes, listening. And I just started crying straight away because I realised I'd never actually heard music with my eyes closed before, like actually heard it. I've heard Jeremy play the piano so many times and he's played for me, but I'm right next to him and I've got my hand on the piano. I've got my feet there, but I was at the back. I was at the back of the auditorium and I had my eyes closed and I just went, the music is in here, like in here, like it's in my head. And I, I didn't know what that was, you know, and so I just was crying my eyes out. And then he got Sean to do his and Sean started singing and I couldn't understand how this beautiful sound was coming out of him and I wasn't having to be that close to touch him to hear it. Like 
I could hear it here, like, oh, my God. So I was just a mess and just crying. And they were like, the guy next to me was like, are you okay? I said, I'm fine. <laughs> and he was like, is it too loud in your hearing aids? I said, no, I've never heard music like this before. Um, so now every time I hear that piece, it's just this flash right back into that auditorium, sitting there, hearing it and actually realising I'm hearing music for the first time with my eyes closed. I didn't realise that I'd never done that before, ever. I think now's a good time to jump into that song that yeah. you're talking about. So it is from Parade the Musical. Yes. What's it called? It's called Leo's Statement. And it's uh, Leo's Statement, It's Hard to Speak My Heart. It's hard to speak my heart I'm not a man who bears his soul I let the moment pass me by I stay where I am In control I hide behind my work Safe and sure of what to say I know I must seem hard I know I must seem cold I never touched that girl You think I'd hurt a child yet I'd hardly seen her face before I swear, I swore We'd barely met These people try to scare you With things I've never said I know it makes no sense I swear I don't know why You see me as I am You can't believe I'd lie You can't believe I'd do these deeds A little man who's scared and blind Too lost to find the words he needs I never touch that child God I never raised my hand I stand before you now incredibly afraid I pray On FBI Radio 94.5, that was Leo's statement, It's Hard to Speak My Heart. It was a selection by my guest on Out of the Box, Anna Maria Bello, who is a deaf actor. Anna Maria, tonight at Dendi Cinema in Newtown, there'll be a Q&A and a screening of the film Unsound, where you play the role of Anna. How did you become involved with that film? Oh, that's a long story. Um, so I know Ali, who wrote the film. Uh, she's a friend of mine and I was away on tour 
and she contacted me and just said, hey, I've written this thing. Can you have a read of it um, just from a deaf perspective? Like, how is it looking? And um, I gave her, you know, my feedback. I just went, here you go. This was a long time ago. We're talking 2016. And then I think I saw the next draft. I think I did see the second draft of it. And I was like, okay, cool. This is great. Um, And then I didn't hear anything about it. And I just thought, you know, it's just the nature of our industry. You know, things pop up and then they disappear. And then it wasn't till I think think I'm going to guess and say about 2017 and my agent rang and she said hey they're doing auditions for uh, this film and they're looking for people that know how to use Auslan Um, I said oh what's the film she told me the premise I went I know this film (laughs) Um, and at the time there was another character in there so this is in the early 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 draft so I was actually initially put in as the mother to the main character who was dying and now in this version yes she's gone so she's not there so then I think they were just looking for another way for me to be involved so they created a character called Anna which is great so yeah it's nice to be written in so in the film Unsound, are you playing the role of a deaf person? No, she's a coder. So she's a child of deaf adults. So she can hear, but she's losing her hearing. And uh, she is there in that. So there's a deaf club. Uh, and in the deaf club, it's she's like the bridge between uh, the deaf members, but also being able to encourage and bring in the hearing members to kind of teach them Auslan and to get them going. So within the hierarchy of the deaf community, like Okoda is quite up there because they have inherited the language, you know, and they are the, uh, I guess, the bridge between between the hearing and and the deaf world, you know, and it's beautiful. There's a whole bunch of different elements into this film. It's like deafness, there's transgender, there's so many stories and there's so many things going on. And I think it is really important with with storytellers as well is that we go, well, who has the right to tell somebody's story, you know? And I think that's a massive conversation that's happening in the world right now. Who has the right to tell your story? What I'm noticing is that there's a wonderful thing at the moment which is happening, which is authentic casting, and there's wonderful awareness right now. Great. What I think there needs to be more of is education. So, like, just the difference of what's a little d deaf, what's a capital D deaf, you know, what's hard of hearing, what is the difference between all of those things? Um, Because each culture is different. Um, The the phrase that you just used, authentic casting, does that mean casting a person in a role with a disability that the actor actually has yes so so yeah and I think my my feeling on that because I know this has come up a lot with Sia and uh, a few other things that have happened just recently but I think if you are in a minority group and there is a role that needs a minority that has a that that is a minority character then why would you get somebody who's able-bodied or you know why why why? Why would you do that? You've just taken an opportunity away from someone who can represent that character authentically. Um, By the same token, 
how often do minority groups get the opportunity to represent an able-bodied person in cinema? Not many. Not many. Like, I can't think of one. Like, and that's, that's what I'm striving to do. I mean, I look, I am lucky. I am lucky. I Like, I just got to do... Uh, an episode on a TV show, that character is not deaf. Um, The last few things I've done, that character is not deaf. I'm super-duper lucky that I can do that. Um, but, uh, But I feel like my disability is a little bit invisible. Like you can't, if you didn't know, you wouldn't be able to tell. I think somebody mentioned CSI or it's one of those shows that I don't, really watch but there is a a, an American actress I want to say who has cerebral palsy and her character the cerebral palsy isn't part of the storyline I'm like yes great and that's what I'm striving for that's what I want to see where you have these wonderful actors who have a disability but their role in the show isn't about their disability that's like well why can't they be the lawyer. Why can't they be the chick that runs the cafe that's in love with the guy next door? Why can't they be those characters? Why does it have to be, oh, let's talk about their disability now, you know, and let, and, and it be, oh, what's the word? Um, inspirational porn. You know, I think now we're at an age and where we all have Instagram, well, most of us, we have Instagram, we have social media, we have all of those things. So everyone now has a voice. So when things get cast and it's like, hold on a second, that doesn't represent me, the producers are going to hear about it. And I think that's a really good thing. It's keeping people accountable, you know. Certainly a lot to look forward to with the film Unsound. There'll be a Q&A and a screening of that film tonight at Dandy Cinema in Newtown. You can catch it at 6.45pm and Anna Maria will be there fielding your questions, all of the questions that I've missed today. (laughs) Anna Maria, thank you so much for joining me today on Out of the Box. No worries. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, So Anna Maria is an ambassador for the Shepherd Centre, which is a charity that helps children who are born deaf. If you did want to find more information about that, I'll pop the details to that up in the programs page on fbiradio.com. Anna Maria, what is the last song you would like to play today? I would like to play Christina New's Colours of Your Life, which is our song from the film. Amazing. This is Colours of Your Life by Christina New on FBI Radio 94.5. And don't go anywhere. Right after this, Brie Kennedy will be looking after you for lunch. Thanks. Bye. There's so much to know, too much for me to take. They draw the light in the sand. To be washed away Pictures on the wall They tell you it's you Strike your last match and burn it down The ashes blow away Ooh, the ashes blow away Ooh, the ashes blow away
podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.